Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. I am so excited to be here today. Thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. Somewhere, we're somewhere in the mid-20s as far as uh, getting an episode out every week. And that feels pretty good. So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. I hope this finds you well and patient and exactly where you need to be. You lovely Lionels, you joyous Josies, you immaculate Elizabeths, you sturdy Sarahs. So glad you're here. Um, Yeah, it's been a wild ride the past couple weeks for me. As you may have known in the podcast, I've been moving. I'm finally getting settled into my new apartment, into a new routine, Uh, and I'm really happy to be back in one of my favorite neighborhoods in Colorado and maybe any place I've ever been. I'm in Capitol Hill. I live about a block away from uh, one of my favorite apartments I've ever lived in, in a neighborhood that (laughs) quite honestly is a bit like how do I describe it it's it's if if my 20 year old self could have dreamt up a neighbor neighborhood to live in I think it would have been this neighborhood I within walking distance have three grocery stores um, two blocks away from Colfax one of the most exciting streets in the world. Um, I live near several coffee shops, yoga studios, there's a record store, there's a bookstore, there's a tattoo shop, there is a vegetarian and vegan restaurant, there is the best pizza in Denver, less than a block away. Shout out to uh, Benny Blanco's. Uh, Definitely lived off Benny slices the first four nights I was in the apartment unpacking and getting settled and yeah I just had a really lovely morning I I got up had my morning sit my meditation made a little coffee and I needed to move my car this morning so I didn't get ticketed which is just a dance that I'm getting used to in this neighborhood with parking and Lily and I went over to the park and had a nice little run as the sun was coming up had a got to play with some other dogs, 
met some wonderful humans and came home, grabbed a coffee, treated myself to a blueberry muffin, and I'm now sitting down to have this little chat with you guys. I'm very excited for this episode because I feel like it's the first time in quite a while that I've been able to kind of sit down, do a little bit of research, uh, plan out what I wanted to talk about a bit. Things have been extraordinarily chaotic for me lately. Um, lots of grief, lots of loss, lots of transition, lots of just moving pieces in the play of life and in the the story of my life. Things have really been I've just been holding it together. <laughs> I think like we all have been this last year with the pandemic and all the things going on in the world, uh, the things that are going on for us personally, and socially, and globally, and politically. I think we're all just doing our best. Um, I've, I haven't talked to too many people who are just who aren't taking a good look at things and who aren't going through big shifts. So this was kind of a huge one for me, I would say. And so I wanted to sit down today because it's been on my mind. And I know I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I wanted to take some time and just talk about transitions, um, life-changing events. When I was a special ed teacher in high school, I, uh, I learned how to do observations. And so observations basically entail going into a classroom and if a student is struggling, whether it's with their academics or a behavioral uh, concern or some combination of both, um, you kind of follow the student. Um, and this is something I would do regular, regularly as a part of my case management uh, to progress monitor and get uh, qualitative data about the students that I was supporting. and. One of the areas that I became aware of and that I would observe very closely was how did the student do in transitions? And how did the teacher do in transitions? And so what I mean by that is a student leaves a class and they go into passing period. And during passing period, they have five minutes of unstructured, uh, unsupervised social time. And a skill we learn, you know, in middle school and high school as we're going through puberty and developing our frontal lobes is how to manage our time and how to uh, switch from environment to environment, different rules and different expectations and different environments uh, necessitate various behaviors. Um, you know, I don't speak the same way. Uh, I don't speak or behave the same way in all settings. You know, we have P1 
people that we joke about maybe a little bit more crassly. We have people that we're affectionate with. We have people that we're more formal with. And this is an important skill that we learn. It helps our frontal lobe develop as we're growing up. And so students go through a five minute passing period and then they enter a class. And a lot of times students who have a special ed diagnosis um, who are receiving services or support, they, they struggle during those transitions. You know, it's a ripe time for them to act out because they don't know the rules. And so they might uh, not be able to pick up on social cues and get a little too wound up, you know, which is pretty common for most teenagers. You don't have to be a special ed student for this to be a hard thing. Um, and then I would really watch, like, how did they settle into the classroom? You know, the first five minutes of the class are very important, and I would support teachers in creating structures and routines that help the students be able to predict what was going on. Um, you know, what, what would they expect? Do they need to look up at the board for what to do? Is it presented visually? Are there uh, verbal cues? Are they just expected to know it because the teacher expects that teenagers can just show up? Um, which has always been hilarious to me because if you ever go to a teacher meeting uh, and you watch how the teachers handle transitions and how they settle into a, a conference room, this is something that we just struggle with as humans. And I started to notice that in high school that it wasn't specific to a student who is receiving services it's something that all humans find challenging is how to navigate transitions um, another really beautiful way to say this is how do we handle or how do we stay present in liminal space uh, remember the first time I heard liminal space maybe it was in a yoga class or something or from a friend and I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's just such a, I don't know, it just felt beautiful and mystic. And uh, the word liminal comes from the Latin word lamin, which means threshold. And, uh, you know, there's the, the ritual or the gesture of carrying your spouse over the threshold after a marriage, like you're entering into this new life together, and that's a, a ritual that marks that transition. And so I love that uh, there's history and ritual around this, and one thing I noticed in high school was that they wanted you to navigate transitions in liminal space as well so you can continue to be productive. You know, you could finish your work, you could stay on task, and all of these really capitalistic values that uh, put productivity and compliance and, um, yeah, productivity and compliance over some of our other needs as humans. And so that was when I first started thinking about transitions and a promise I made to myself was I was never going to ask my students to do something that I wasn't willing to look at in my own life. And so around that time, I began to take a look at how I dealt with transitions. Um, in what ways did I struggle 
between shifts in environment, you know, uh, how did I behave or what was my what, my, what were my thinking patterns like when I transitioned from my morning routine to work? Um, and I think this is pretty common. Quite frequently, I would find myself in the drive to work feeling extraordinarily stressed out. You know, I'd be thinking about all the shit I had to do. I would be thinking about, uh, things I was nervous about, things that I was behind on. I would try to get my to-do list to feel like I had some something to anchor myself in, but quite frequently I found myself pretty emotionally wound up transitioning from making breakfast and meditating, uh, having my coffee, maybe doing some yoga, and then all of a sudden this kind of peace and this transition time would just almost completely dissolve and so I I just kind of watched and observed myself you know I, I tried to do what I had learned to do for students with myself to make some notes and to see if to see if there was anything I noticed or that I could adjust about my behavior because ultimately I was experiencing some discomfort during transitions, I had a hard time shifting. You know, this is pretty common for students uh, with a special ed diagnosis. And I was diagnosed with ADHD in third grade and medicated until seventh. Um, I didn't receive much other support from teachers or special educators. It was the 80s. and um, But I noticed, you know, I, had, I have trouble switching from task to task and things that are pretty common for neurally divergent people. Um, and I think more and more common for America, given our society and the amount of overstimulation we have with social media, and on and on and on. And so, beginning that process of observing myself, I, I noticed it in myself, I noticed it in my peers at work, and I got real curious about... Um, why transitions are so hard. Um, you know, there are little transitions all throughout the day. You know, you wake up and you transition from sleeping to waking. You transition from uh, your morning routine um, to work quite frequently. And whether you're working at home or going into work, that's a transition. You transition between tasks. A lot of what determines or is a predictive indicator of someone's ability to succeed in the workforce is their ability to switch between tasks. Uh, I, I don't believe there's any such thing as multitasking. I think we're doing one task at a time and maybe we're more or less chaotic in how we do that or approach that. <clears throat> but you're only giving or really capable of giving one thing your attention at a time. It's the way attention works. <laughs> um, and so we go through these, we have these tiny little ones all the time. Um, transition from work to being at home. We transition from being at home to going to the gym. We transition from the gym to dinner. We transition from dinner to the TV set. We transition from the TV set to our night routine. And we're, we're constantly kind of shifting. And it's a beautiful thing about 
being a human is that we are capable of experiencing lots of different things throughout the day. Um, and, you know, maybe you've all felt this, like sometimes when there's a, your day is a little too rushed, you can kind of feel a bit windy, a little bit cluttered, a little bit like it kind of it, it compounds and builds on itself and by the end of the day you're just kind of all sped up and like a spinning top wobbling around and I think that's because we're going through so many transitions that our psyche doesn't really have a chance to catch up with what we've done um, I received a beautiful practice from one of my teachers that was to stop and take you know, a minute to five minutes between each major transition to kind of let what you've just done settled. And you can sit in a chair, shut your eyes, and take deep breaths. You could lay on the floor, but I started practicing that. Um, you know, I'd sit in my car before I went into the schoolhouse. I'd sit in my classroom at lunch before we transitioned into the afternoon. Uh, I'd sit in my, I'd lay on the floor at home after work. Um, I'd take a few minutes before I went to bed. And each time that way, like things didn't seem to build up. You know, I kind of let what happened. I let my, my brain remember what happened. Is there anything I needed to take note of or that was emotionally impactful? Uh, I need to talk about with my therapist. I might make a note, but just kind of letting what had happened wash or move through me and I noticed it really helped my overall anxiety levels I felt way more grounded um, I spent years and years of my life and it still happens waking up anxious or going to bed anxious or waking up angry um, and so that transition from sleeping to being awake has always been challenging for me and that's why you know, doing something like sitting on the edge of my bed and just taking some deep breaths and feeling my feet before I take my first step, uh, moving from there to brushing my teeth and a really predictable routine of splashing water on my face and then having a meditation. Uh, that really helps me kind of come back into my body from all the dreams I have. I'm a really active dreamer and sometimes that can be beautiful and sometimes it's overwhelming. Like my psyche from time to time is like what's real all the Buddhists you know said that this is the dream maybe that's real and you know it can be hard for me to come back into my body and all that stuff really helps me kind of stay present and the small transitions um, and I say all of that to lead up to this kind of bigger theme that's been going on <clears throat> I think for many of us which are the huge transitions in life you know, this is something I think we've lost in the West because of colonialism. Uh, we don't have rites of passage, passage in life, you know. I think the first one I really remember is getting my driver's license, which was like really strange to be like a rite of passage. It was like, okay, now you're free, release you into the world. Um, but no rituals, no ceremonies. Uh, and that's not to say they don't exist, right? Like. Uh, Judaism has them, Islam has them, lots of, uh, you know, Catholicism has them, they exist in Hinduism, but I think 
secular Protestant America is kind of missing that, and I think that's a, a large part of our culture here in America. Um, so I'm not talking, I am talking about that, but I'm also talking about like uh, anything that is like a huge change to your lifestyle. Um, this can come from reevaluating your life. This can come from, you know, something you planned, like a trip. This can come from, you know, midlife cry, you know, called midlife crisis. Um, but basically, there's some huge transitions that affect us all. So moving, uh, which I just went through, and I can tell you, being 45 and moving frequently due to late stage capitalism and the ways in which our society is set up to keep us moving and buying new shit. Um, none of us can own property. We just have to keep paying the landlord who has to keep paying the bank. And it's this endless cycle of us doing that and then needing to go pay target for a new toilet plunger or whatever the shit we lost in the move was. Um, so moving is one, uh, death of a loved one, uh, breakups or divorce, um, personal injury, getting married, getting fired, um, retiring. Um, those are all pretty major transitions. And the reason why they're so challenging, I think, you know, they, they, they sound like major life events, but in my mind, if you simplify them, <clears throat> what they are are prolonged transitions. And it's hard for our brains to live in liminal spaces. You know, we like consistency and a certain amount of variety. Um, but living in the threshold between my life with my friend who is alive and well and my life without my friend who has uh, left their body or my life inside of this job with the routines and the expectations and my life in between jobs and my life worrying and thinking about the next job um, those can become really terrifying places and I think they affect almost all of us and we all have different coping strategies for getting through them you know <sighs> you know this might be a bit of a a stretch but you know maybe why so many people drink on vacation isn't actually because they want to go someplace and get wasted it's because their routine has shifted and they're in a transition between their work life and their dream life and their psyche can't handle it so they cope by drinking every day at lunch um you know, no judges if drinking during vacation is what you're into, you know. You do you. I'm not going to yuck your yum, but, you know, that was just a little thought, a little tangent. <laughs> um, but those longer transitions, you know, I, I, I want to rewind. I haven't met anybody who doesn't get a little stressed out going to visit family and transitioning from a self 
and a life that you've created that is independent of your family. Like it's definitely affected and informed by your family and society and your upbringing and your conditioning. But then you transition back to, you know, say you go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, Yom, uh, Hanukkah or Ramadan, and then all of a sudden you're transitioning from this person that feels independent to the projections and constructs your family continues to put on you because they haven't been there with you for the whole journey. And that transition is super jarring and challenging and people act out and do all kinds of wild shit um, when they go back. And that one's obviously way more complex than I'm giving it credit for. I could do a whole podcast about going home for Christmas and the complexities of how that works or how I think that works psychologically. But my point being that these longer, you know, oh, that we all have ways of coping through transition. Some people, you know, make a to-do list and are meticulous and control every aspect and that really helps them feel safe and secure during uncertain times, you know. The real or projected control over a situation that feels out of your hands. Um, some people kind of just disassociate and <laughs> kind of like, I know this has been like, I've leaned more towards this in my life where I'm just like, it'll all work out. I'll just, you know, I mean, I'm freaking out, but I'm also kind of, you know, disassociating a little bit like, this will be fine. Um, you know, some people will drink or fall back on vices, you know, like I was, it was so hard for me when I was transitioning here, I was eating like crap. I mean, I had pizza every night for four nights and it was fun, don't get me wrong, Benny Blanco's is a beautiful slice of pizza. But, you know, we, we have ways of coping through that and it can be really challenging to be with those longer transitions and to just stop and take a minute and stay grounded. Um, and I think, you know, this, this kind of shit is up for all of us right now. You know, we transitioned into pandemic world mind. We transitioned into environmental collapse and economic threats and all of these things that we're trying to make our peace with and then having each one of our own personal life stuff, whether it's job or families or relationships. Um, you know, for me, it's been living, it's been work, it's been my romantic relationship. And honestly, I just, I know that in the West, I wasn't raised to be equipped to do that, there was no, I mean, I was 35 before I heard the word transition or liminal space or gave it any thought. And it got me thinking, like, why is that, you know? So I was raised Episcopalian, you know, why isn't there a, a saint? You know, Episcopalians don't have saints, but the Catholics do. You know, why hadn't I heard of a saint of transitions or a saint of thresholds? Um, and I think it's like a little spiritually void for, you know, I, I, 
a lot of times when you're in transition or you're grieving a loss of somebody or you lose your job or you're moving, you know, it feels like prayer is the only answer, but it's like, who do you pray to? You know, everything's so out of your control. For me, I've found that I have to trust something outside of myself to help me with the process. You know, I'm only capable of so much in a day. Um, I'm capable of worrying about the entire universe and every outcome, but I'm only physically capable of moving so many boxes or crying after a breakup for so many hours or uh, wandering around staring at my toes after the loss of a loved one. You know, I can only walk so many blocks in kind of a, a grief trance. And it got me being really curious, you know, why, why don't we have that? Why don't we have greater, you know, neurological, psychological recognition of that across the culture? And, you know, what are some spiritual uh, resources? And so I was looking online and it was really fascinating to me because it was like it was really easy to find these guardians or protectors or deities or energetic patterns however you want to relate or myths um here a little helicopter flying over i wonder where they're going i haven't quite got my sound set up here got a little nook temporary nook but I'm hoping to get something dialed in I have a pretty big closet that I think I'm gonna be able to pad out and put a chair in to record this so I'll keep you posted on that but for now there might be the occasional motorcycle helicopter just city life um, so I was looking and the Romans had the god Janus and Janus You know, I'm not an expert, so if I misspeak or I shallowly represent um, something that is very important to you spiritually, I offer my sincerest, sincerest condolences. I'm just trying to point towards the fact that other cultures um, and, you know, maybe some of my own culture have had this in the past but lost touch with it and that we can look at... Um, you know, the practical nature of this, like what helps you transition between, uh, how do you keep routine during transition? So if I'm moving, how do I make sure that I'm still eating well, three meals a day, meditating, getting exercise, and the stuff that keeps me grounded? Um, we can talk about the very simple nuts and bolts of it. Um, we can talk about why it's challenging on the psyche challenging for people who've experienced trauma to uh, accept change. Uh, it's pretty well known that uh, people with trauma sometimes will continue to relive their trauma because it's familiar um, and they're afraid of, you know, quote unquote, healthy relationships or, you know, the safety they know is better than more safety. If that makes sense. Um, so that's saying the devil you know. Uh, and so we can talk about that on like a really practical level, but for me it's always a little bit helpful to see this as like a, 
a trans-temporal human experience. And these deities, I think, that we related to as kind of like immature versions of our younger human psyches, actually, I think, are really complex archetypes that can help us uh, understand how out of control and how scary transitions can be. And so I was looking and I was really blown away. It's like almost everybody, but you know, maybe there's a biblical scholar out there that could help me with this one. Um, I couldn't find anything and maybe an Islamic scholar or a Judeo, uh, you know, uh, professor of Judaism. Um, but the ones I found were like the Romans had uh, Janus, you know, two-headed god looking forward and looking backwards, holding a key, um, protecting doors and gates and thresholds. Um, uh, India and uh, Hinduism and Vedic, they had... Um, Ganesha, you know, the remover of obstacles, the elephant-headed deity. Um, and also one of my favorite, um, Narasimha, uh, is a deity who's really quite beautiful. So there was this demon uh, that could, couldn't be defeated, you know, done a bunch of, made a deal with somebody and uh, couldn't be defeated during the day or night by a man or by a man or woman, by a god, you know all these dualities, and so Narasimha is like half human, half lion, half man, half woman, uh, and Narasimha kills the beast um, at dawn in the transition between night and day, and it's really some pretty cool stories out there about Narasimha. So they have a whole deity, you know, associated with Vishnu. Um, in uh, um, sorry, uh, hoodoo, Haitian hoodoo. Um, there's Papa Legba, you know, Crossroads, um, God of the Crossroads. Egyptians had uh, goddess of life and death. I'm not going to try to pronounce her name. Um, and there, there, you know, go out and read some stories if you'd like. Um, reading those myths and thinking about the fact that you know for 50,000 years our brains and bodies really haven't evolved that much so these stories to me are just as contemporary as when they were written and I think there was just a different operating system you know I think we lived in metaphor back then and since the scientific revolution has come along we've lost a bit of that and is the scientific revolution kind of colonized our brains we began to think that those were uh, you know in colonization too like uh, you know dismissing the wisdoms of those indigenous cultures and I, I by no means am purporting that this list is exhaustive um, indigenous people to America and all over the world have you know, protector deities that they put at their doorways and um, energies they call on to keep spirits out. And I think we've we've lost a lot of that as we've uh, colonized these people and these belief systems. And 
made science dogma and I think that there's a bridge that we can find between the two to kind of help us navigate now um, to learn how to to learn how to deal with transitions you know I, I love the story of Narasimha because it can kind of feel like if you're going through the deep grief of losing a loved one or transitioning between work or losing a relationship or moving like those things can feel like I don't know so overwhelming that they're like you're battling your demons um, they can feel so overwhelming that uh, it's hard to you know keep a clear train of thought to take right action um, and so it's really helpful for me and one thing that I've I think I've learned uh, in the past six months with all the personal transition I've had in my life is that I'm only capable of so much in a day and learning how to love my limitations um, learning how to love my limits you know will let me know how much I can get done like if I look beyond the pillow fort I built here I've got 20 unpacked boxes, you know, 30 unhung paintings. Uh, I've got work to do for my three other jobs. Um, I've got a dog to walk. I've got groceries to buy. And when I start to get spun up, just laying down or sitting down and kind of asking myself, you know, what am I capable of? What's reason like what's a reasonable expectation? Like what am I expecting of myself in this transition that I wouldn't expect of other people? Um, what's the next right thing to do? You know, to go back to that thing that I keep mentioning, you know, when you don't know the right thing to do, do the next thing right. So is it unpacking your plates? Is it uh, sitting down and crying? Is it calling a loved one and, you know, getting some things off your chest? Um, but for me, it's in this transition, you know, going through the move and a breakup and being in like a larger liminal space with my career. Um, some days I get pretty scared <clears throat> when I just sit down and I try to give myself some patience, take some deep breaths and just do as much as I can for the day. You know, I, I, I think that burnout is pretty common to go back to the values I saw in public education. It's like they value, they only wanted the student to, I mean, this isn't totally true. As a system, the system only wanted the student to comply or transition well so they could stay productive, so they could get their work done, so they could get the grades and they could report to the district and the district could report to the city and then the school could get a better rating and more people could move there and they could gentrify the neighborhood and yada, yada, yada. Um, on a personal level, level, some teachers just wanted their ego to be stroked and they wanted everybody to follow the rules so the kids could get their grades and pass the test and they would get their marks, right? They had their own set of fears there. Um, and I don't think that I think that level of product, 
productivity and that that conditioning is pretty toxic you know I could just push through and totally organize this apartment and hang all of my paintings and unpack and work and work 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 and get through and probably get on Adderall or some form of speed or drink a pot of coffee but that doesn't feel healthy to me anymore and allowing myself to just unpack three boxes a day to sit and cry to be scared to take deep breaths inside of a transition to me is the only thing that's going to help me get through this and potentially help any of us get through those moments of confusion and fear that arise for us in liminal spaces because we don't have the psychological certainty of what came before and I pray for grace during those times from you know the gods and goddesses and teachers that I've worked with I pray for uh, clarity protection and I try to go slowly and acknowledge my humanity in those processes because they're scary like I have a brain and it's beautiful and it's terrifying at the same time and you know by the grace of you know the teachers I've had and the things I've learned of and my own discipline um, I've been able to learn how to meditate and notice when I'm getting wound up or you know unpacking a box and my brain's thinking about five other things and just instead of rushing through the box and doing the next thing, sitting down and taking a few deep breaths. And it's amazing how fast some of those uncertainties go away when I just return and focus on my breath. Um, so yeah, that's, that's our podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed riffing about this I enjoy making this podcast each and every week thank you all so much for listening it means so much to me I am going to keep keep doing this keep getting after it I am hoping to do some geographically specific podcasts that aren't about uh, these big topics maybe they'll have some themes in there but uh, I just moved so I'm Across the alley behind me is the Molly Brown house in Denver. And Molly Brown, uh, her nickname was the unsinkable Molly Brown. And she was a Titanic survivor, a philanthropist who is rumored to have tried to get her, uh, her boat to go back and look for survivors uh, after the, the Titanic sank. And there are tours that happen there every day. And I've lived in Denver for 20 years and I know almost nothing about her besides that. And that the picture of her on Wikipedia, she looks like a fucking boss. And so maybe I'll just do a episode about Molly Brown. There's some uh, ghost stories about the neighborhood I live in uh, that might be kind of fun to do. But uh, looking forward to having some more time and space once I'm settled in here to mix it up, to do a little bit more research. Thank you all so much for listening. It means so much to me. Uh, Please, please, please support this podcast by sharing it with a friend, liking it, following it, 
leaving a review on iTunes. Uh, if you're getting something from it, you could leave me a little money on Patreon. It's a monthly subscription that keeps creators and artists going. Uh, I have nothing but appreciation for all my patrons. Thank you all so, so, so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and if you feel like donating, you know, price of a coffee once a month, um, a scone or a muffin, it means the world to me and keeps me going. So www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones or there's a link on my website www.turningofthebones.com I look forward to doing many, 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 many more of these. I look forward to sharing these stories, these reflections. I'm going to get another microphone as soon as I get a little bit more money so I can because I hope to have people over to interview them here. I've got a little bit more space. I'm gonna get a couch. Uh, nice comfortable place for someone to have some tea and us to have a little chat. I've got so many people I wanna interview and talk about their process and yeah, start to diversify this podcast. So thank you all so much for listening. I love you all. Blessings and be well. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Thank you for joining me on this lovely and auspicious Friday. It is uh, Ganesha's birthday. So in India, they will be celebrating the elephant-headed deity, who is uh, a lot of things, um, protector space holder remover of obstacles but today is uh, Ganesh's birthday so happy birthday Ganesh and uh, I hope you are well today I hope this day finds you exactly how you need to be you beautiful Brian's you dapper Daryl's you ecstatic Elizabeth's you fecund Frankie's <laughs> I am happy to report that I am in my new apartment and I have a makeshift set up today might keep today's episode short I've been moving all week and I'm packing Tuesday was my 45th birthday which feels like a pretty big deal I'd like to live to be healthy and happy until around 90 so I feel like I hit the halfway mark in my life uh, which is a great feeling. It's definitely put some things into perspective for me to think about it as a halfway point and not pathologize myself for the trials and tribulations of the last year. I mean, I just moved into this place and I'm meeting some of my neighbors and I continue to be reminded that nobody having a good time right now if you're a caring person and you look at what's going on in the world and that's affecting you uh, lots of people are having major upheaval in their personal lives and so if you can today just give yourself a little patience with that because we are all doing our best uh, 
believe that in every moment the best we can with what we have. Um, yeah, I firmly believe that. Uh, even people who are struggling and hurting others, I believe that they're trying their hardest with the tools that they have and maybe they're not ready for, for help. There was a great line that always really stuck with me from the Alcoholics Anonymous program and it mentions that uh, it mentions that the system of ego eradication of accountability of acceptance and acknowledgement uh, that that process works for most people but it doesn't work for everybody and that they're some people who are just constitutionally incapable of making certain changes and I believe they're trying their best too so yeah I met one of my neighbors who just had a horrific year and a lot of my friends and family members just there's a lot of change and transition going on right now and that is very challenging for for all of us even with a meditation practice, I find myself quite out of breath, you know, my anxiety's back, uh, doing my breathing exercises when I wake up in the morning. But with the move into this new apartment, uh, a shift in my partnership, uh, split up with my partner, had a birthday, moved out of a house, looking to continue to evolve and grow and create the second half of a life that I want. Uh, I've had a pretty good first half, um, some ups and downs. And like Jed McKenna said, the price of truth is everything. And I have committed myself towards a life of becoming in touch with reality as it is and not reality the way that I want it to be. I have found a lot of times in my life that I've, maybe you could relate to this, I've lived in my projections of what I think reality is or who I think people are. And I, it's taken a long time and a lot of therapy and a lot of work to trust myself and to trust the decisions that I make and to trust the process of getting to know people I personally have I've how would I put this I would say that I've been very eager for connection and so inside of that I sacrifice some of my discernment and Learning how to be discerning is a, a daily practice, a lifelong practice, and making shifts in your life is a challenging thing. It's a, it can be pretty uncomfortable. It's like, what's the saying, the devil that you know? Um, it can be terrifying to step into the unknown, you know? And if you're on Instagram, you may see these you know, really wonderfully inspirational memes that are like, step into your power, uh, choose yourself. Um, there's a whole world waiting for you. And while I completely agree with the sentiment, 
and the cheerleading and the motivational aspects of that I think it it misses the mark a bit because I think acknowledging that stepping into unfamiliar grounds whether it's a living situation whether it's a relationship whether it's trying to shift something with a family member or a co-worker um, it can be pretty scary to do something new and I know that right now almost everything feels new you know we're entering a new phase of the pandemic the environment the social political climate um, it feels like we're going through a bit of a collective rebirth and having not given birth and not having a body that can carry a child I don't know so I want to make sure I acknowledge that before I jump into this but the people I've talked to who have given birth giving birth is a, a pretty messy experience you know it's it's beautiful and a new life blossoms forth but there's blood and there's fluid and there's shit and I think inside of some big transitions in your life there's gonna be a good bit of turmoil and being patient inside of that making sure that you're supported uh, is important. It's taken me a long time in my life to be able to accept and receive help. I know that during the past week, uh, this week of surrender, this week of transition, that my psyche wanted to fall back on a habitual tendency to isolate, to go do it alone which I think is a, a byproduct from patriarchal conditioning uh, capitalism white supremacy colonization that as white people we struggle with how to make community and be with those challenging moments and be seen inside of them. I've been really blessed in the past month because I've deepened a, a friendship that started during the pandemic. My downstairs neighbor, this really wonderful human from Uruguay, uh, we would talk, you know, every day we shared a garden. Uh, we've laughed, we've made art, we've made food together. And I remember at one point, she kind of helped me acknowledge, you know, some of the challenges I have internally. And externally, you can hear there's a, a garbage truck. I don't have my sound, my timing set up quite yet, recording from my bedroom, which is currently the quietest room in my house, but we're picking up a little beep, 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 beep. Um, which is good, still alive. Um, and so 
in having these conversations and talking about, you know, the political divide in America and the cultural and social and racial divides, she was saying that she's having a hard time understanding it because where she was raised, you know, people would come together around food and it could be family members who disagreed, it could be uh, people with different viewpoints, but they came together, they talked, they listened to each other, and nobody got canceled. Nobody got kicked out unless, you know, they were obviously doing harm psychologically or physically to people, but for the most part, there was this uh, communal support and acceptance that I haven't completely felt in America. I've been in lots of different social groups and it seems like every social group is pretty tribalistic and protective and afraid of the other or demonizes the other. And so this week, I, the past couple weeks with uh, the decision to, mutual decision to uh, try to transition from a romantic relationship to a friendship and the sadness and confusion and grief that came with that, uh, my friend really showed me what support looked like. And I realized it wasn't so much that I didn't have it, but I didn't know how to accept it on a pretty fundamental level. And so I was able this week to be around people in my grief, be around people in my confusion, uh, and to let people support me, you know, to reach out and ask for help from people who I know love me, uh, and try and try something new inside of my feelings of overwhelm, my feelings of panic, uh, making my peace with the lack of control the grief surrounded with uh, the death or the passing of an idea, you know, the idea of a relationship and the, the future think that comes along with that. And I think that learning how to be seen is a whole human, you know, not just a human who always has it under control. I think that a lot of the toxic masculine conditioning I got around emotions and career in my life was that I needed to always be in control. You know, my, my godfather, who was one of my earliest inspirations, was a Stoic, and the Stoics uh, point towards mastery of emotions, and I think that I... I think I twisted that a bit internally as a late adolescent when I was learning it that, you know, I needed to always be on top of my emotions. And I think that's evolved, you know, I went to therapy and I learned how to feel my emotions. I think I had a history of just shoving them down and not processing them. So through therapy I learned how to acknowledge and name my emotions. And I did a lot of work with that when I was teaching in schools with children because we don't get taught that explicitly. Uh, we see a lot of modeling about how to react to certain things and depending on your environment or your family, 
You may take that in different directions. Um, maybe healthy, maybe unhealthy, maybe a combination of both. But worked through that in therapy and then through meditation and yoga have learned how to kind of watch my emotions and not personalize them and see them as a, you know, I am having an experience inside of awareness and my emotions are clouds passing through that sky. Uh, some of them are storms. Sometimes it's a sunny day, sometimes it's cloudy. Um, but coming to a place where I've cultivated some discernment around what needs to be done with them. Uh, do I just need to sit and cry? Do I need to be held? Do I need to talk about it? Do I need to exercise? Should I journal and contemplate and do some analysis? And I think these are all really important skills that were not taught in America specifically. And I think that's a shame, you know. I, I feel like inside of this journey I've been on, there's been an increased level of self-awareness, discernment, contentment, acceptance, humility, gratitude, that to me make me think that I'm going in the right direction, you know, because it's easy to get lost in your story and your head about how things are going uh, the brain loves to the brain loves to protect you you know it's trying to keep you alive and so when you feel discomfort it, it usually is like oh damn we did something wrong and it takes a bit of time to rewire your brain just on a, a physiological level you know you have neural pathways that or habitual, you know, and so one of mine is that when I don't feel good, everything's screwed, you know, being chronically ill as a child, I quite frequently had the internal experience of thinking I was going to die, or thinking I was all alone, or thinking nobody's coming, and as an adult, it's taken quite a bit of work, you know, aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of rewire my brain to the truth of the fact that, you know, Sometimes my brain will, will bounce back into my child mind or my brain stem or my amygdala. But reminding myself that I'm capable, I've got me, I have friends, I'm supported, kind of doing a checklist and a walkthrough when I feel overwhelmed, when my brain's trying to just avoid discomfort because for whatever reason, a part of the brain's job is to predict safety, predict uh, well-being, and these skills, they come incrementally, at least in my experience, you know, it's, it wasn't like a wash, I've had lots of beautiful moments in meditation and therapy, lots of insights, um, like one of my favorite teachers, Mike Snyder said, insights are limitless, and at some point, you know, sit down and you do the work and it leads to, for me, uh, more certainty inside of myself, uh, deeper trust with 
my assessments of reality. I think that many of us, myself included, you know, it's, it's been easy for me historically to let myself be talked out of how I feel or have it reframed. And while that, that can be helpful, you know, with a trained professional, like a lot of that stuff we get from our parents or from society or from partners is just kind of reinforcing early traumas and reinforcing early childhood lenses through which we see reality. And some of them are, are clear, some of them are foggy, some of them are dark, some of them are rosy. Um, <clears throat> but one of the lenses that, that I've had is that it's, uh, it's not okay to ask for help, it's not okay to be seen as a messy and complete human. And I'm grateful for the people in my life who I feel safe to do that with. And yeah, I just wanted to drop a quick little, I don't know, almost like a, like a journal assignment. Didn't have a topic this week. Like I said, I was extraordinarily busy with the move, getting set up and you know, getting into a new routine in this new environment, this new neighborhood, which is absolutely lovely. I have a glorious view the sky to the east. I've seen the sunrise every day since I've moved in. I have a lot of wonderful amenities within walking distance. There are lots of grocery stores and coffee shops and people on the street and diversity. And I'm just going to say it feels nice to be back in the city. It feels nice to be in the city proper. I love the, the energy of the city, uh, the restaurants, the people out doing things, uh, the people thriving, people struggling, it, it reminds me of the whole picture and I think it's really easy for me to fall into a life that is pretty siloed where it's easier for me to forget that and I'm really grateful for this apartment. Uh, i going to have to get some furniture and figure out a nice place to record the podcast. I hope you're well this Friday with everything that's going on. Know that you're not alone. Uh, I hope you have the tools and resources and support system to navigate these confusing waters to and feel your emotions. I feel like every one of us could have a therapist now just to talk about how overwhelming the world feels and the situation with the environment and the social political climate in America and the pandemic. So... I hope you can give yourself some patience today, uh, some rest, just check off the basics, eat some food, drink some water, get a hug, uh, talk to somebody, that's what I'm going to do today, uh, try and get this podcast out, I love you all so much, thank you for continuing to support and listen to this podcast, it means the world to me. Looking forward to having more time and energy and space to plan out episodes, get some guests on here. So all of that should be coming very soon. I'm very excited. This is a crowdfunded, listener-supported experiment. Please share it with a friend. Share it on social media. That means so much to me. Or go over to patreon.com, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones.
and support uh, you know if you're getting something from it support monthly if you can if not no worries your support helps somebody else uh, if you can't support no worries keep listening thank you for coming I appreciate you all so much and take care of yourselves take care of one another pet a dog pet a cat hug a friend stay hydrated stay fed keep your body moving and we'll get through this together take care Bye now.